we're going to be talking about how to foster a heart that truly cares. There's a story of a man who was here in the cafe in Wimberley, and he was overheard by somebody who actually came here, and they were talking about this church. And they said, Cypress Creek Church, I've heard that that's the church that loves people well, that cares for people. And so that, that, it was a true story, by the way, and that person told uh, founding pastor Rob, and, and then that is not something that we can just say is our title and then turn on autopilot, amen? That's something that we need to continue to cultivate. So we've been talking about our mission as a church. What is our mission? I didn't go and dig some new idea up. We went to the original mission that God gave to the church, and it starts in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus is asked by a Pharisee and is saying, what is the greatest commandment of the law? What's the greatest commandment of the Old Testament? And Jesus replies by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that means love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Hebrew word also means mind, with all your will and your affection, with all your uh, soul with your body and with your life. That is the whole body, the whole life, and with your strength. And that Hebrew word is a fun one. It means miot. It means extra. It means our muchness with our passion and our devotion. So Jesus is saying, love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says then, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So college students, if you like you know, to read something that kind of summarizes some big idea up, this is a good one to memorize and to remember. God is saying, Jesus is speaking to us, saying this is what's most important to him. Do you think it should be important to us as well? I do too. And so this morning, we are going to focus in on loving our neighbor. Sean did an amazing job last week talking about loving people, how we have to balance grace and truth. Sometimes when we love people, we need to just love them with grace and just be there, listen, and, and just love them always. And then also, we need to love them with truth. So Ephesians 4 says to speak the truth in love. So sometimes we don't want to hear the truth, but we got to hear it. And we got to let it sink in. And when we have people around us that love us so much that they're speaking truth, then that says something. He said that God is not unconditionally accepting, but he is unconditionally loving. What does that mean? It means that God loves us so much he doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and be conformed to the image of the Lord rather than conformed to the patterns of this world. That is our mission. And so this morning, I want to turn to Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there now, we're going to be reading a familiar story to a lot of us and hopefully a new one to some of us. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's another, uh, it's Luke's account of the Great Commandment. Next week, whoo, we have a fun two weeks, y'all. Next week, Pastor Rob Campbell is going to come back up and talk to us about making disciples of all nations. And then we're going to end the week after that, our series with making disciples here locally and looking at the Great Commission. You won't want to miss that, but today we're looking at Luke chapter 10. Before we dive in, how y'all doing this morning? How y'all doing this morning? Hey, if you're at home, how you doing this morning? I heard you, but I didn't hear you loud enough. So I, over there at home, how you doing this morning? There you go. We have a couple, couple people here as well. Let's pray before we dive into God's word. Father, we thank you that you are here in our midst. 
And Father, if I just have one request, if, if I would have one prayer, it would be this, that we would all leave change, that we would hear and receive from you, Lord of lords and King of kings, the one who was and is and is to come. We put our trust in you and we thank you this morning for this gathering. And we also thank you for your word. May it sharpen us, may it convict us, may it compel us to glorify you in all that we do. I pray, God, that you would use me to speak your words and not mine. And I thank you again, Jesus, for your presence here among us. In your name we pray, amen. So we're in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is pretty awesome. Some cool things have happened, one of which is that Jesus sends out 72 people to go and do amazing things in his name. And they all come back and say, say, Jesus, like demons bowed down to me and left and people were healed. And we saw all of these miracles. And I love what Jesus replies. He says, hey, rejoice. Not that all of those awesome miracles, which we love and, and we're able to, to be a part of this side of heaven. He says, but don't rejoice because of that. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice that you're going to spend eternity with me. And then we read this story. Behold a lawyer, which anytime we see that the lawyer is written in scripture, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, I'm listening. Because lawyers are smart. We have a lawyer in one of uh, the community groups that I attend. And every time he asks a question, I'm like, it's going to be good. He's going he's gonna to come up with something that I haven't thought of. And it's going to take a while to discuss and here's the question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know about you, but I think that's a good question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, but there's a one major flaw in that. This man is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, like only he can, responds with the question, what is written in the law? How, how do you read it? And, and so the lawyer responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So this man has obviously read his Bible. Maybe he heard Jesus say what he said is, is quoted in Matthew. And so Jesus responds by saying, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if I were this lawyer, who knew a lot up here and then tested this teacher who claimed to be the Messiah of God. If I answered correctly, like he gave me credit, my ego would just explode. I'd be like, I am the man. Anybody else with me? You know, know-it-alls, you're like, man, I got it. But what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, do this and Tell other people about it. it. says, do this and you will live. See, our faith is not one that we just know about. When we read the word, it's not only for knowledge, it's for application. And Jesus teaches us something really, really cool, a three-part step to interpreting, to reading and studying the Bible, observation, interpretation, and application. So observe. The man says, let's go back to the, uh, to the back, uh, last slide, please. What is written in the law? So observe, ask questions. What is God writing? Don't read into the text. Read out of the text. Make sure that you have context. Then how do you read it? How, how, are you, how do you interpret it? 
We have the Holy Spirit within us when we read God's word and he allows us to interpret God's word so that we not only know it, but so that we can apply it. And that's where Jesus is saying, do this and you will live. But this guy, this guy's on an ego trip. So he keeps on going. And we read then, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But, this, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Desiring to justify himself. He's trying to prove to Jesus, hey, tell me because I already know, and tell me and I'm going to tell you how I've already done that. If you don't hear anything else, hear this this morning. There is nothing that we can do to justify ourselves before God. Zip, nada, nothing that we can do to earn an iota of God's love because we have already been justified. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to live a sinless life and to pay the price for our sins so that we would be united with him today, tomorrow, and forever. And justification means that God sees us just as, just as if I'd never sinned. This man was saying, hey, let's, let me look at what, let me show you what I can do. And Jesus says, it's not about that. It's about what I have done for you. So he continues by sharing a parable, a story. Jesus replied in verse 30, a man, and this is a Jewish man, by the way, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is not a good story. This is talking about an actual real road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's called the Jericho Road. It's about 17 miles long from here, like this church to Chick-fil-A in San Marcos, if you've ever been there, 15 miles. We've been talking about Chick-fil-A a lot. I don't know, maybe there's something there. But anyway, moving on. So imagine walking from here to Chick-fil-A plus two miles. That's 17 miles. This road from Jerusalem, which is where the temple was, and Jericho, that city over there in, in the plains, was where priests and Levites, and we're going to hear, see why this is important, would go to rest. So after they performed their priestly duties and served God's temple, they would embark on this very long commute to Jericho to chill and rest. And we see that this man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this terrible thing happened. Let's, uh, let me show you this next picture. That's the Jericho Road. It's a dangerous road. And it was commonly filled with thieves and robbers. And we know that these thieves and robbers, I mean, there's, there's, there's an ability to maybe empathize with them a little bit because they took his clothes, meaning that they were poor. They were desperate. They took from this man and, and didn't leave him dead, but half dead. They, they gave him a little bit of hope. So anyway, we see that this man on this road is in trouble. Let's keep on reading. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So in context, these priests have clocked out from their jobs. They have done their thing to God. They've done their priestly duties. They said, God worshiped you, served you, I did it right. Check. You know what's interesting about both of these men? 
Not only were they a part of the religious elite, the priest would be the highest, the Levite would be the servant to the priest, so a little bit below, but these men would have studied the beginning part of this, where it says that when you are around someone that is suffering or someone that's about to be dead, you can't go by them because they're not pure. And so if you're around them, then that means that you then become impure. And if that's strange to you, let me just clarify it really quickly. What God is saying to them is that he wants everyone, everyone that represents him to be set apart. And so death is over here and life is over here, right? Well, God is all about life. And so God cannot be around death. And so us as his representatives, we need to make sure that we're not around things that lead to death. You see where I'm going? What does it mean when we're set apart as believers? It means we live different. Again, God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay the same. That means living differently and being about these things that are in life. And so these priests and the Levites were doing something actually right according to the law. But what Jesus is drawing attention to is that it doesn't matter what they were doing for God because they totally missed the one thing that God says really we are to be about, which is loving our neighbor. But a Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, and he had, let's say that together, compassion. Let's say that together, compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Time out. Y'all, this is a big deal. Samaritans and Jews back then, no eran amigos. They weren't friends. They didn't like each other. A lot of barriers between a Samaritan and a Jew. Politically, totally different. Religiously, different. Race-wise, ethnic, socioeconomic class, different. If you don't believe me, just flip back one page in your Bible in John, uh, in Luke chapter 9, when you read that uh, Jesus sent a couple of people over to Samaria to prepare the way for him. And then it says that the town of Samaria didn't even welcome these Jewish men. And so puffed up in righteous anger, the sons of thunder, James and John said, Master, should we call for to God to, to bring down rain of fire on them and just consume them like Sodom and Gomorrah? You saw that like hatred for the Samaritans. And all we read is that Jesus rebuked them. That's all we read because we get this story next. And God is calling out an enemy of those people. And he's making an example of the two people that should know what to do with the Lord. And now he's saying, but a Samaritan, oh, that is shocking, shocking. Then he set him on his animal, verse 34, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is about two days wages in today's uh, money. It'd be about three to $600 and gave them to the innkeeper saying, not only take care of him, but whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This barrier was so 
thick, this separation between the Samaritans and the Jews is that this man couldn't even say Samaritan. He said the man that, uh, that, that showed him mercy. And Jesus totally reverses, totally reverses the question on this lawyer. From who is my neighbor to how we love our neighbors. Because God is more uh, focused on how we love the most vulnerable, those that need him the most, than any sort of religious thing that we can summon or make up to make ourselves or exalt ourselves or try to justify ourselves beyond or, or to the living God. And so as I read this this week, I came up with five keys to how we should love our neighbor. Five. The first one is be aware. This man, he, he went, he was, he was on his journey. He was in transition from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know what he was doing, but we sure do know what the priest and the, the Levite were doing in Jerusalem, and we know where they were going into Jericho. Now, I don't know how long your commute is from work to home, but it's easy for me to just turn it off. Maybe put something and just coast. I've learned to try to prepare my mind, so when I'm more awake and active at home than when I am at work, so that I can be the priest that God's called us to be in the home and make sure that our families are our first ministry before anything else, workplace or anything else in life. But these men probably turned off their, you know, compassion, their, their awareness hit autopilot. And we also need to look within because I think a lot of the times we see these instances happen, but our tanks are an empty. Our compassion just drains. We have what's called compassion fatigue. And, and we're not able to respond. And so the second point is pray for compassion. But I want to talk a little bit more about this, this, this thing. Because when we see these barriers come up, when we see something happen to someone that is not like us, that doesn't believe the things that we believe or that doesn't uh, act or make decisions the way that we make decisions, it is natural. Let me repeat that again. It is natural for us not to want the best for them. It just is. But God says that there's a better way. God says, but when you have my agape love in you, then you can love someone completely different than you. I will never forget my favorite neighbors. If you were a neighbor over here, I apologize. You were not them because I know who my favorite neighbors are. Is when we were living in D.C. They were right next door. And I won't tell you too much about them, but I'll tell you this. Every single barrier that you could have had, they couldn't have been more different. We couldn't have been more different than them. But we did one thing, and that's this third step. This third step. We moved in. We, we, we talked to one another. We asked each other, hey, tell me about your life. We actually shared our life stories. They were not, not only Christian, but they were not living at all a Christian lifestyle. Actually, as opposite as you can get. But we cried together, and we learned to love one another the more we knew one another. Because when you move in, that's when you realize that the person on the other side is a human just like you in need of God's love. And when we actually move in as the body of Christ, then we can see him do amazing things in our encounters with our neighbors. So 
we move in. This man met the immediate need right there. Boom, moved in. He saw him. The Levite and the priest saw him too, but both of them went to the other side to make sure that they were undefiled. So to make sure they were not defiled. So to make sure that they were pure. But this guy, nah, he went right in, met the immediate need. I was with uh, Patrick and Nathaniel. We were driving uh, on Rancho Hotel. Do you remember this, Nathaniel? And uh, there's this guy riding his bike over by the Wood Creek Apartments, if you're familiar with that part of Rancho Hotel by Winter's Mill. Anyway, this guy flipped on his bike, went forwards, hit the pavement, and we were going fast, stopped quick, pulled over. I thought I was pretty fast, but by the time we got to this man, there were two people already uh, attending to this man. One of them was an off-duty police officer, and the other one was this woman who, maybe you are like this or you know somebody like this, she was just externally processing the entire thing very loudly. Oh my gosh, this man just fell off his bike and now he's over here, he needs help. Someone call 911, you know? And we were just like, what do we do? Because this woman's got that, like, she's, she's you know, making sure that he's okay and she knows what she's doing, so we knew what we knew to do best and we just laid hands on him and prayed for him. That's what we did and we just prayed, healing, all that good stuff stuff. Well, it wasn't too long until another person came up, and this man was just wearing a t-shirt, shorts, I think flip-flops even, and he just walked over like if nothing was happening and uh, assessed the guy, kind of, you know, went over him and goes, all right, we got to flip this man upside down. And the woman's like, no, don't move him. Wait for the ambulance. And he just looked at her and goes, ma'am, I'm a surgeon. And so then I don't know what she did, but anyway, we turned the man around and he assessed him. EMS came by and then the man went on his way. And then the woman ended up saying, this is why I love Wimberley. People love each other. It's such a great community. So anyway, I don't know what good she was, but it makes for a good story. So there were um, a bunch of people that met the immediate need. We just stopped what we were doing. We were in route. We were in transition. We were actually going quite fast. But we stopped and we assessed and said, what can we do? Well, I couldn't do much. There were already people that knew how to do better. But we were able to pray and lay hands on this man and just uh, like proclaim the Lord's blessing over him and his healing in Jesus' name. If anything, we can all do that. Amen. So you move in. You move in. And then you go the distance. You go the distance. This man didn't just stop at, at just healing the wounds, but he went the distance with them, put them on his animal, took them to an inn, which is probably halfway. We don't know how long it was, but he went the distance with them and he showed care. Everyone say care. There's a difference between caring and meeting needs. Let me explain. We have amazing ministry partners out here. You guys know of a lot of great uh, um, uh, organizations that do good things, community service, all that stuff. When I was in college at Crosstalk, I led a community group that was a community service, community group only. I thought I was very, very undefiled. And I said, we're gonna be the service community group and y'all can you know, talk about it. We're gonna live it out. And uh, the only people that went to my community group were my two uh, roommates that needed to do community service and this one other uh, girl who was amazing. She had the heart of, and she had the gift of service. She was incredible. My point is, meeting a need is one thing, but fostering a heart that cares is a completely different thing. That's when you actually see what the problem is, what's going on, and you dive deeper. You go the distance. 
And when you go the distance, you learn more about whatever that need is that God is calling you to meet. And so when you go back there, yes, ask. Yes, volunteer. Yes, serve. But go the distance. Amen? Go the distance. So not only did he go the distance, though, he went the distance and then some. So we can meet and maybe we can say, yeah, I'll give my time to this. But when it comes to our checkbook, yeah, right. We're not going to do too much for people. Think about it. Two days wage is what this man paid for this uh, other man in need, vulnerable, lying down. I don't know what that means for you, but I do want you to ask what, whatever that is. And the other thing is whenever you're already meeting a need, when, when you're going the distance, seize the moment and just stay and watch God do. There's nothing more important than being the hands and feet of Christ in, in a moment of crisis or in a moment of need. You're exactly where you need to be. I have another story, and then I'll close. I got this nice little card in the mail. The church did, actually. I didn't, but, you know, I opened it up because I get to. It's my job. And then I read it, and I want to read it to y'all. It says, Cypress Creek. See, it's for y'all. A quick note. On Thursday a.m., my friend got a flat tire. We had planned to meet in Wimberley for lunch, but I got a text from her asking me to come help her. She was in Wimberley. When I arrived, a wonderful young man named Jose Abaroa, no, I'm just kidding, it wasn't me, had pulled over and was helping my friend. He did it all, even having to call for help from another friend to come with an air compressor due to her spare being flat also. Anyway, my point in writing is just to say thank you. He truly acted as an angel of God that day. He refused to take any money, so my friend asked if he had a home church. One more thing to mention. My friend has just lost her husband, and this man couldn't have known what a gift it was to stop and help her. He truly restored my faith in humanity. God bless you all, a believer. This is who we get to be for this community. John, in John 13, Jesus is speaking. And he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, not by how much you know, not by how faithful you are at attending church, not by how all of these things that you do, but how you, if you have love for one another, this love is agape love, is self-sacrificing love. It is selfless love. That's the kind of love that is not only needed in this community, but that's the kind of love that Jesus came to bring us. And then we, as carriers of his gospel truth and love, we get to be the hope of the world as we live this out. And so when people or maybe we, when we're disgusted by government or by where we're disgusted by all the crud in this world, we say, my hope is not in that. My hope is in the church because it is the church that's the carrier of the hope of the world, Jesus Christ and he alone. And so let's mobilize church and let's activate to meet the needs and be his hands and feet. He will give you opportunities to serve him 
like this. He does it every day. My question to you is, are we aware? Are we aware? Are we willing to move in and meet that immediate need, whatever it may be? Are we willing to go the distance then and then some? Are we willing to do that? I hope yes. And I don't know where you are this morning. Worship, you can come back up. But maybe there's a, a few characters in this story that you resonate with. Maybe you are that lawyer that's asking all the right questions. You're asking all the intellectual questions and you're seeking after God in, in, a, in, a, in a satisfying life. And what I would encourage you to do is just stop and receive. Stop and surrender and receive from God because God doesn't want you to just do. He wants you to receive what he has done for you. Maybe you are that Levite or that priest that's living a very busy life. And in those times of transitions or whatever, you were just on autopilot and, and you're running out of compassion. You just don't have any more to give because you're so full. There is no margin in your life. My hope is that you would just stop and, and pray. Ask God to refuel your heart and, and your spirit so that you can have his compassion for others. And last, maybe you're like that man on the side of the road. Maybe you were so beat up by life. Maybe you're going through the darkest time. Maybe someone took something from you or, or you are experiencing this incredible grief and pain. My encouragement to you is that God's word says that not only is he with us, but that we are his neighbor. In John chapter one, Jesus says that he came to make his dwelling place among us. He came and moved in to our neighborhood so that he can love us closely and do life with us and be there when not only we need him, but so that we can be there to meet the needs of those that are also around us. And then in 1 John, and here's how I want to close, says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. Last two verses. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is God's house.